With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Absolute honor to be here with you guys this morning. And uh, can you hear me okay? I'm pretty loud just by myself without the mic. So um, this, is, this is special. And I got to say, your pastor, Pastor Phil, I have become a recent fan of that guy. That, that guy won me over. I am a fan of Phil Kim. Uh, we, were, we were connected by a mutual friend who went to high school with him. And this friend, uh, this mutual friend I know, and uh, he connected us and just said, hey, on, on a Facebook message, just said, hey, you two guys need to meet each other. So we met up at Starbucks down the street early one morning before I went into work. And I got to tell you, I, I was, um, that was an, a super encouraging morning for me because uh, not only did I immediately sense just uh, the humility that Phil had, but really uh, the passion that he has for this specific community, Roland Heights. And that, that, that really encouraged me because, um, honestly, since I was 12 years old, I have uh, had a burden and a vision and a passion for Roland Heights. And I can't explain it except uh, God putting it there. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But it, it, it's so, it's so uh, unique, too, because we're actually very similar, Phil and I. Um, he's better looking. But uh, we're very similar because uh, not only do we both have a passion and a vision for reaching Roland Heights for Christ, um, we both want to be a part of a church that reflects the diversity that is in Roland Heights. Um, And not only that, um, we both are big on uh, reaching the community. A a lot of churches, um, this is my son, don't mind him. Um, Okay, security, where's security at? <laughs> a little bit, son. Okay. Um, he's a cutie, though. You guys like his little man bun? We call this a man bun. Uh, we we both uh, we both want to know more about each other's cultures to better reach Roland Heights. Uh, so, as you guys know, Roland Heights uh, high percentage of Asians here. You know, Taiwanese, Koreans, Chinese, but then also there's a lot of Hispanics too. So, it's, me and Phil go back and forth just trying to learn each other's cultures and. You know, there's those awkward conversations that you have sometimes when you try to ask each other questions about each other's cultures. And, and here's the, the fact of the matter is, is that um, Phil feels a calling to plant church in Roland Heights. So do I. And, you know, in the way that some people um, do churches in cities is, um, you know, you kind of just stay within your cultural bubble. You know, and that's very easy to do because you know how to relate to people within your cultural bubble. There's a safety there. There's a familiarity there. But, I don't know, me, me and him are both really like-minded in that. We're like, you know what? Uh, we realize that we need to get to know other cultures better if we really want to make an impact uh, for Christ in the city. So, um, man, he's really big on discipleship and teaching God's word. E- even our churches have the same initials. THC, you guys are the home church. We were the Heights church. Uh, so after getting to know Phil, I, I'm, I might be the Mexican version of Phil Kim. I might be. <laughs> So uh, we're like, we're like the, 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 Kogi truck, the Kogi truck or something, you know? I don't know. So, uh, but like I said, since I was 
at, at Alvarado, I, I remember one night staying up really, night, really late with my brother and uh, just telling him, I'm like, Mark, I, I'm just sensing uh, that God wants to use our family to, to reach Roland Heights at, at 12 years old. I can't explain that except God putting it there. Uh, I have some of my friends here from high school with me. I went to school uh, at Roland High School, graduated in 2006. Um, and when I was uh, 16, my father and I, my father's right here, um, we started a, a, like a home Bible study with some, with some peers. And long story short, that home Bible study, I actually have a couple pictures of it, I think. Did we get the slides to work? Yeah? Or no, I wasn't sure if we got the slides to work. Um, yeah, there's one before that. Is there one before that? Or after that? No? Okay, that's okay. We'll, we'll make it work. Um, there should be like one more church of like people at the beach. Like right after a baptism? No? Okay, my fault. That's okay. Um, so we had, we had a church, actually, really funny, we started at Killian Elementary School. You guys know where Killian is? That's where I went to elementary school. We would rent that, that place on Sundays. Uh, and then after some time, it got really expensive. And we ended up uh, right here, this church right here, Roland Heights Christian Community, uh, uh, the Chinese church right here. We, we were meeting there on Sunday nights um, for about nine months, I believe, or so. And so we were actually like right next to you guys for a long time, too, uh, which is really interesting. But uh, that little home Bible study, when, we were, when I was 16 years old, turned into what we eventually called the Heights Church. And after two and a half years, it's a real long emotional story, so I don't want to cry. It's our first time meeting. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll tell you that, but it was a really difficult decision, and it's tons of mixed emotions on it, but one of the hardest things I ever had to do was decide to close down that church. Um, and then what ended up happening was we went to this new church in Brea, uh, and then most of the people that were in our church came with us to that church in Brea. And the pastor, uh, his name is Pastor Ray Chang, a uh, Korean guy, uh, and he uh, has taken me under his wings, and then I convinced Phil to get in the program too, and it's a bunch of us who either in the early stages of planning a church or want to go back and plant a church are being trained once a month through this 12-month program. So I see, I see Phil, you know, once a month for our class. We just had ours this last Friday a couple days ago, right before he went up to the retreat. And so um, this morning, uh, and, and in fact, some of those people from that church plant that we had are here with us. If they're, if they're a little bit darker skinned, they're most likely with our group. Um, so uh, that's that. That's a little bit about me. We'll, we'll get to know each other a little bit more afterwards. Uh, Pastor Phil did tell me that you guys are starting to study the book of Philippians, which is awesome. So why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. That's what we're going to study this morning. Philippians 1, 1 through 8. I'm going to go ahead and read all your verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump right in, Okay. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making for you all, uh, excuse me, I'm a little nervous here, uh, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are, are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Father, here we are this Sunday morning. And we ask that you would just give us fresh eyes as we open your word. That you may direct us, lead us as a church family here in Roland Heights. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. A little bit of, a little bit of context here. Uh, Pastor Phil, I believe, last week did like a background study to, to kind of get some context of the book of Philippians. Uh, and just so you guys know, uh, Acts chapter 16 recounts the, the story of how that church started. Um, and... Basically, uh, it's been 10 years since the Apostle Paul first planted that church in Philippi, and, and a lot's happened in those 10 years. 10 years before the Philippians are receiving and reading this letter to the church, uh, if you guys remember, uh, Paul and Silas end up imprisoned in, a, in a, a Philippian prison, and after getting beat with rods, uh, after um, being placed in the inner prison, the most secure part of the, the prison, and after being in the stocks, which... Quite literally, they, they might have had their arms and their feet spread apart. And we read that at midnight, uh, Paul and Silas were, were worshiping. They were praising God. They were singing hymns before the Lord. Did you guys cover that last week a little bit? Awesome. Okay. And uh, now, 10 years later, what's important to realize is that church had a birth story with the pastor or the planner being in prison. 10 years later, guess what? Paul is back in prison again. This time, not a Philippian prison, but a Roman prison. Uh, and so we call this a prison epistle. There's a few other letters that Paul wrote that he wrote from jail. Um, and this helps us to frame where Paul is at as he writes this. It's really important to know um, where the, the author is coming from. And so uh, this could have easily been a letter, or a, a, we call it like a book of the Bible, right? The book of Philippians. It's, it's really a letter. This could have been a letter about suffering for the Lord, or, or a letter about, hey, pray for me, or hey, here's what I need for you guys uh, to do to meet my needs. But instead, uh, thousands of years later, we look back and we call this the letter of joy, the epistle of joy. Because some, like, 19 different times, the word joy or rejoicing or rejoice shows up in this small little four-chaptered book. And so, and if anything, it, it, it's a big picture. Um, as you, you take a step back from the actual words in it itself, um, it's really amazing that Paul chooses to talk about joy as he's in a place of suffering. And so what a great example for you and I. As he opens this letter, he, he greets the church, um, referencing uh, Timothy by his side. Timothy, uh, at some point, would be part of the leadership of this church, and even at one point, uh, the pastor of this church. But here's what I want to focus on in that first verse, is, is, is notice who Paul addresses this letter to. He addresses it to the saints who are in Philippi. And I love this because Paul, we know he's writing to Christians in the city of Philippi. He's writing to Christ followers, believers of Jesus, uh, those who've been made righteous because of Jesus. But, you know, let's talk about that word saints. Uh, because uh, the Greek word for saints is hagios, which literally means perfect ones or righteous ones, even holy ones. And can you imagine how like, awkward it would be if I... Well, you know what? I'll just do it right now. Good morning, perfect people. A little awkward. A little awkward, right? Um, it's a little awkward uh, because obviously all of us, we still sin. And we still struggle with sins. 
Uh, and so why does Paul address these Christians at this particular church as saints? Um, let's talk about this for a moment. Um, he was telling the truth. He wasn't lying. That is true of their spiritual identity in Christ. They are saints. Um, if someone was to ask me, hey, Mitchell, are you a sinner or are you a saint? I would have to just say yes. That's what I am. Yes. Um, it's kind of this dual thing going on here. Both, both are true. Uh, it depends in what sense you're talking about. Uh, the Christian, as far as our standing with Christ, our spiritual identity, we are saints. We are perfect. We are righteous. We are holy. Um, in Christ. I have a verse here. There's a slide. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul, in a different letter to a different church, uh, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, let's talk about that for a second. Understand what's taking place in order for us to be a Christian. Okay? And this is the gospel in a nutshell. Um, for our benefit... God the Father sent his perfect, righteous, saintly son, Jesus, uh, who knew no sin, or in other words, who never sinned. We believe that Jesus Christ was sinless, that he never once sinned. And uh, God the Father uh, made Jesus to be sin, or in other words, he took uh, our place while Jesus was on the cross so that we, his followers, believers, could become righteous, or so that we could become saints. One way to look at this is that there's only ever been one saint to ever walk on the earth, and that was Jesus. And if you are in Jesus and believe in Jesus, then you are a saint. You have imputed saintness. I just invented a word. But, you know, we're still sinners. Because in Paul's last letter that he wrote in 2 Timothy, one of the things that he says is, I am the chief sinner. And he's speaking in the present tense. At the very last letter, when we might say Paul was most mature as a Christian, he said he was the greatest sinner. You know, and so Paul understood that in Christ he was a saint, but he also understood that he was still messing up, that he was still jacked up, and he was still a sinner. And that's the truth for you and I. We are sinner saints. But, you know, we are more, uh, our eventual uh, ending point is we're going to be saints. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be with Christ in a perfected place with perfected bodies, with perfected minds. It's going to be incredible. Well, maybe you're saying, well, listen, I, I, don't, I don't feel like a saint. I don't feel like I'm perfect. I don't feel like I'm righteous. Um, if you are a Christian, if you've received Christ, um, then who do you think you are to tell God he's wrong? Because God says, listen, when I, when I see you, I see you as my, my saints, my perfect ones, my righteous ones in Christ. Amen? Well then, real quick, uh, why do we still struggle with sin if we're saints? Um, I know, right? Uh, that's why we need to fight against the indwelling sin, fight against temptation as we call upon the empowering of the Holy Spirit to, to be who we actually are in Christ. So here's the truth. If you're a Christian, you are holy. So God says, hey, be holy. Be what you are, you know. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, where he talks about we've been made dead to sin and alive to Christ. So reckon yourself to be dead or consider yourself to be dead to sin. So one of the interesting things about following Jesus is that in Christ, our standing with God 
um, we've been made righteous. We've been made perfect. But we still have to fight against the sin to be what we actually are because of the gospel. And so um, it's a real interesting thing. It's, um, there's, there's a lot of little paradoxes within Christianity. A lot of things that, two opposing truths, uh, two opposing things that don't seem to work out, but actually they, they somehow work out. Um, you even might say that the longer that you're a Christian and the more Christ-like you become, the more aware you are of the ugliness in your own heart, the, the sin, indwelling sin that's still inside of you. So one of the things, if, if I'm growing to be more like Christ, I'm growing in understanding of holiness, I'm going to be more aware of the sin that's still within. And yet, at the same time, as I'm growing as a Christian, I'm going to be more and more aware and realize the, 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 um, the success of Jesus at the cross to forgive all my sins. So there's like this tension going on for all of us Christians. And as a pastor, sometimes you're talking to a Christian who is just overwhelmed with condemnation. And they're questioning even their own salvation, maybe. And they're wondering, like, are they ever going to get victory over this particular area? And then as a pastor, you got to have discernment, and you recognize you got to really pound them with the truth that, hey, you're forgiven. Uh, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus paid for those sins. You're forgiven. You're a child of God. You're a saint. And then the other time, as a pastor, there's Christians who uh, cling to that truth, and they're, like, sinning, and they don't really see the error of their own ways. And their mindset is, you know, but God's already forgiven me for all these sins. And I'm, I'm good. I'm safe. I'm secure. Everything that I do, Jesus already died for. And Paul talks about this in Romans 2. He says, are we going to sin so that grace may abound? He's like, certainly not, right? And so there's these two little, like this little fight going on, this tension between those two truths. Um, well, we've got to hurry here. We're still, on, we're still on verse 1. You guys are taking forever to listen. That's why it's going so long here. Um, right, notice also that Paul is addressing the leaders of this church. He talks to the, uh, the, the uh, overseers, the deacons. In, in 10 years, when you look in Acts 16, they had real humble beginnings as a church. But 10 years later, they've got deacons, they've got overseers, the church is growing, it, there's leadership structure that's in place, different people have different roles. And then Paul greets the church with a typical Paul-like greeting. He says, grace and peace. Uh, two things that come to us as followers of Christ. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. First thing uh, we should mention is, is just the overall tone of, of love that Paul has as he opens this letter. Remember, he's in a Roman prison. He could have opened this letter by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus, you know, grace and peace to you, the saints. Help me. I'm in this place. It's terrible. Help me, please. It's bad. They're torturing me. But he doesn't do that. He, he opens by saying, man, every time I think of you Philippians, I end up thanking God. Think about that. That's powerful. Every time I think of you, in all my remembrance of you, I end up thanking God. Uh, remember what Jesus told his disciples in, in John chapter 13? He said um, that the unbelieving world would know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And, and what's so interesting about that is Jesus isn't saying uh, your love for the unbelieving world, which he definitely calls us to do. In, in John 13 specifically, in that context, he's saying, hey, if you disciples, if my own followers, if you're just loving one another, the world, the outside world, the unbelieving, they're going to know, hey, those are those Jesus people. Those are those Jesus followers. 
And we know, too, uh, that the fruit um, or the primary evidence that the person has the Holy Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And the way that love manifests itself is through joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In another place, Paul talking about faith, hope, and love. And what does he say? The greatest of these is love. Uh, love is what's supposed to be distinguishing Jesus followers from the world. It's supposed to be love. That's the distinguishing factor. And, and this letter, even the tone of it early on, is just oozing with the special love that Paul has for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Man, do you, have, do you have friends like that? Do you have Christian friends that, uh, or, or, or family, or church family, where when you walk away and you leave and you're, and you're laying down and you're reflecting on your day, and you're just like, thank you, God, for placing so-and-so in my life. Thank you, God, for, for putting them in my life. That, that's the type of relationship that Paul had with the Philippian church. He says, man, every time I think of you guys, I end up thanking God, and I'm praying with you guys with joy while he's suffering in a Roman prison. Man, uh, let's be a, a, a church of people that do that to people. When they come in, and they're like, you know what? Maybe they're, maybe they're not even Christians. They don't have to be Christians. They can just be people that, that meet us and come meet us the first time, and they're like, man, you know, I disagree with them entirely about various issues, but one thing I can't get away from the fact is these people are loving. And I felt that love when I, when I met them, when I came to their church. Um, Paul goes on to say, when I pray for you guys, I'm doing it with joy. I couldn't help but think that maybe there's a connection between praying for people in your life and having a love for them. The way that Paul is, is talking about this, it, it would seem that he would, ha that he would regularly pray for the Philippian church. Um, when, when you come to church, are, are there some people here, um, don't raise your hands because this could get really awkward, are there some people here that are just super annoying? Are there some are there some people here that are really hard to love, that you find their personality to be really rigid and just annoying? Um, start praying for them. Start praying for them. Ask God to lead them, direct them, bless them, um, and watch God change your heart and your attitude towards that person. So here we have the Apostle Paul almost setting an example for us. He is, is on a regular basis, praying for this church in Philippi with joy. And then we also see, of course, as we mentioned, Paul suffering here in a Roman prison. And we don't mention him yet uh, praying and asking God to deliver him from prison. And it's not like uh, Paul deserves to be in prison. He didn't break any Roman law. He's in prison because he's preaching the gospel. Uh, and, and so he's in, a, he's in a place that he doesn't legally belong. And actually, he's, he has Roman citizenship. He shouldn't be in a Roman prison. Um, but... But think about this. He's in this place of suffering, and he opens up, and he's saying, hey, when I'm praying for you guys, I'm praying with joy. I'm thanking God. He's not, he's not praying at this specific moment for deliverance, for God to get him out of his situation. And, and I found that to be really convicting because I think if there was a way, like an app on your phone, that could somehow uh, every single week send you a weekly report on an email, and it was able to, you were able to read every single prayer that you said to God that week. And I feel like, for me, this was really convicting because how much of the prayers that I say to God are just asking God to deliver me out of situations? Hey, God, get me out of this jam. Hey, God, get me out of this jam. And here we have the Apostle Paul who's in a real jam. He's, he's in a prison, 
And yet he's praying for other people here. And he's thinking about them. Man, are we really, are we really praying for each other during the week? Are we really praying for, uh, for God to, to bless uh, other people uh, uh, in our Christian church, in our circle of, of family and friends, even when we're going through it, even when we're really uh, suffering? Real practical, when, when, uh, one thing that I like to do is that when I get a text from someone, right there and then, I just shoot up a quick prayer to God when I get a text from someone. And that's just a real practical way to be praying for other people in your life. We're about to see uh, one of the reasons why Paul was so thankful for this group of Christians in Philippi and why he was able to pray with joy. Verse 5, it says, here's why, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm not sure if Pastor Phil mentioned this last week, but but you could say that the book of Philippians is, is really like a thank you letter um, because the church in Philippi had been financially supporting Paul as he was doing ministry. And so in some ways, this is actually a thank you letter. And Paul is, is saying, hey, the reason that I'm, one of the reasons I'm praying with joy and I'm thanking God for you is because of the financial support that you've been sending me. But here's what I like uh, in the wording that Paul uses. He could have said, um, because of your partnership in, in me. He could have said that and been absolutely valid. But he, but, he, but, he, but he says, because of your partnership in the gospel. And here, here's what I like about that. Um, when we tithe, you know, we just had uh, a tithe and offering right now. Uh, when we tithe, we give money to the church. We're, we're not just giving pastors their salary. And, and we're not just paying so that we can be in this building with air conditioning and, and lights. And we're not just paying for the chairs. We're, we're, we're Investing our finances in something so much bigger than an individual or just one singular church, we're investing in the gospel itself. We're partnering in the gospel itself. The very news, the very vessel of salvation, the the news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners, that message that saves people, that turns them from dead to life, we're investing in that. We're investing in something so much bigger. And Paul is saying, I'm so thankful for you guys because you've been partnering in the very gospel itself. From the first day we met, and even until now, for 10 years, they've been financially supporting um, Paul. And when we give our finances and our tithes to a gospel-centered church, we're, that's what's happening. We're partnering in something so much bigger than just this one church. We're partnering in the very gospel itself. Amen? And that's why, um, that's why we can give cheerfully. That's why we can give joyfully. Because we're, we're, we're investing into something so much bigger. Verse 6, Paul says, and I'm sure of this, I'm confident of this fact, he says, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm confident of the fact that the God who saved you will continue to work in your life until you are complete, until you are perfectly mature. Um, You know, following Jesus uh, isn't just saying a prayer and asking him to come into your life. Uh, it's, it's, it's so much bigger, deeper, it's more than that. It's following him for the rest of your life, with all of your life. You know, Jesus said uh, to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. From the moment that you are born again, from the moment that you become a Christian, uh, until the day you die, God is actively working in your life, the Bible says, to conform you, mold you, shape you into Jesus. Uh, 
And, and, and what I like about that is it's kind of like, like, do you guys have any projects at home? Um, I don't know, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know how many of us have our own homes yet, but, you know, things break down, cabinets fall, whatever, and you go to start a project, and how many of us have, like, unfinished projects in our house that have been there for, like, years because we haven't finished it? And, you know, God, God isn't, isn't one to start a project and not finish it. Um, Paul says, I'm confident that the God who started the work, the project in your life to make you like Jesus, I'm confident. I know he's going to finish that project. There will be one day, you know, 1 John says that, that we will be like him. We will be like Christ. Uh, when we read about, uh, about our future in, in heaven, um, we know that there's not going to be any more pain or suffering or, or, or death there. But one of the other things that's not going to be there is um, struggling with sin. We're not going to struggle with sin. We're not going to see the re- repercussions of a fallen world. Uh, it's it's going to be incredible. And so God is actively working in our life until the, until, until the day of Christ. I, I, I like what someone said about this point, a commentator. He, he was saying, you know, when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, uh, that, he didn't, that Jesus didn't say, I am finished. You know, the work of salvation is finished, but the active role of Jesus in our life is continuing to go on. You know, we even read uh, in Scripture that, that Jesus continually prays for us. You guys know that? He praises us and defends us from the accuser of the brethren, Satan. Uh, he's going to continue to work in our life until the day of Jesus Christ. When is that day? That's when he comes back for us. You know, Christians, we hold on to the hope that for as crazy as this sounds, you know, I, you know we, this is like the, we call it like Christianese, right? Like different Christian things that we hear at churches. But, but can you imagine, like, there is going to be a day when Jesus Christ returns. Can you imagine, like, how how insane that is, that we actually believe that as Christians, that he's going to come back. You know, if you talk to someone who's not a Christian, and I, I, this recently happened to me like, like three, four months ago, and, and I had like loosely just said that to him in a conversation, and where he, was, he showed me some YouTube videos about like, you know, earthquakes and stuff, and he was freaking out, asking me my opinion on it. Uh, and, and so I was like, I watched the video with him, and, and I was like, yeah, you know, I, well, I do believe Jesus is going to come back. And he, said, he stopped me right there. He's like, you, wait, you really believe that like, the same Jesus who walked the earth a couple thousand years ago, like, he's going to, like, literally come back. And I was like, yeah. But as he, as he pressed me on it, it, I started to realize, right, there, I'm like, you know, that, that's a pretty radical thing to believe, like, right? It's been a couple thousand years, and it might be a couple thousand more, who knows? But Jesus Christ is going to come back again, and God's going to continue to work in our lives until that day. Verse 7, Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way, about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul acknowledges that, that he, uh, it's right for him to have this love for the Philippians. Um, and he speaks about just how unified they are. Here's Paul. He's, he's an apostle. Um, he has an authority that when he writes to a church that was given to him specifically from Jesus Christ. Remember, um, Paul as an apostle, uh, he witnessed the risen Lord. Uh, one of the qualifications that we believe that separated apostles and what gave them like special authority during this time was that the resurrected Jesus like actually gave them the title of, of apostleship and told them to do ministry and to speak authoritatively. And so Remember, um, the disciples all saw the risen Lord, except Judas. Yeah, 
Judas was his own, you know, in that case. But Paul, remember, uh, he saw, he had, he's, Jesus Christ called him too. He fell off his, his high horse, and he was called specifically by Jesus Christ uh, to be an apostle. And Paul is, on one level, you might say, man, he was like a, this really high-ranking Christian. And, and, and he was. But one thing that he, that he points out here is that he says, you know what? All that I am and all that we are together as Christians, we're just all partakers of the grace that we've been given. We're all partakers of grace. And then he goes a step further. He says, we're, you guys are partaking with me in my current imprisonment. Think about how unified you have to be for Paul to say, um, not only are we partaking of the same grace from Jesus, it's like you guys are in prison with me right now, you know, as he writes this. We're partaking together through sufferings. He talks about partaking in the confirmation of the gospel, or in other words, the legitimacy of the gospel, the truthfulness of Christianity. Uh, Paul speaks of this closeness, this unity that, that these Christians are experiencing with him. They're united in, in grace. They're united in persecution. They're united in the legitimacy of Christianity. Um, elsewhere, to a different church, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, that when one member uh, suffers, we all suffer. When one member is honored, we all rejoice. In another, in another letter, he says, you know, when, when, when one person weeps, you know, we should be weeping. When one person is, is joyful, then we should be joyful with them. And so that's the type of atmosphere that should be taking place in church. That's the type of atmosphere that should be here um, with each other. We should be so unified that it's like we're doing um, our Christian walks together. And that when one person's suffering going through it, we're all suffering going through it. When one person's happy, we're all happy and excited. Verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says, you can ask God. He's my witness. I yearn for you. I long for you. I can't wait to see you again. Uh, there, there's something especially noteworthy um, about Paul loving these specific people, the Philippians, that I haven't mentioned yet. Does anyone know what it is? Why is it so amazing that the Apostle Paul loves the Philippians? Does anyone know? Want to take a shot? You kind of have to understand the culture of the day back then. Anyone? Okay. No one? Okay. For $10 million. How about that? Okay. Uh, here, here's the thing. Um, the, the Philippian church was a Gentile church. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. In fact, he wasn't just a Jew. He was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee in his past days. And, and, and during this time, uh, culturally, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't get along. In fact, that's why it was so significant when Jesus gave what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Why it was so significant and so countercultural that a Samaritan would help a Jew. Because in that culture, that just didn't take place. In fact, uh, it would go both ways. You know, the Jews would call Gentiles dogs. You know, they would say, oh, the, the Gentiles, those, those guys are just dogs. We read about that in the book of Acts. Uh, and, and the Gentiles didn't like the Jews either. Uh, and so here is Paul, who is the church planner. He is the, the voice of authority of this Christian church in Philippi. He's leading a group of Gentiles, and he himself is a Jew. I got to tell you, that's like extremely... Uh, countercultural, especially for that time. Um, and you have to understand the uniqueness of this specific group of Christians. Um, not only is this the first church in Europe. Did you guys know that? Uh, Philippians is 
So like in Acts 16, Paul wants to go east to, towards Asia to, to, to do ministry in Asia. And then God sends him a vision of a man from Macedonia. And he takes that and says, you know what? God's calling us to go west, what we call today Europe. And he goes to Philippi, and, you know, that's the, the beginning of that church. He starts that church. That's the first church in European history, first Christian church. And that actually has direct ties to us as Americans because the American church came out of Europe. So in a lot of ways, you know, the book of Philippians is a big part of how God brought us here and how Christianity came to America. But not, outside of the, 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 the history lesson, can you imagine the, the look on people's faces in Philippi, like people who lived and went to the marketplace in Philippi, and they're walking around, they're walking by this group of Christians, and they're looking, and the pastor of the church is a Jew, and they're all Gentiles, and there's like this special love that's taking place between the pastor and the, and the Gentile Christians, and then vice versa, and here Paul, he's saying, man, God's my witness, I long for you guys, I love you guys, that was incredible, in fact, Paul even rightly says that this is the love, the affection that Jesus Christ gave him. You can't explain it, like, in the natural realm. This is a supernatural thing that's taking place that God is doing in their life. And, and here's what I love about this as you take, if you, as you take a step back of, of what happens when a church is gospel-centered is that the gospel breaks down the wall of division between uh, racial cultures. The, go the gospel bridges cultures, and, and it brings us together. And, and one of the things that I can't help but love, even this morning, is, is kind of a picture of that. You have the merging uh, the clashing of cultures in the same building. And um, I tell you, that's hard to pull off. It's hard to pull that, it's hard to pull that off, and it's hard to sustain that. And the reason that is, obviously, is because, um, you, know, all of us, uh, you know, all of us to varying degrees are very tied to our cultures. We're very um, comfortable within our cultural uh, uh, bubbles, within our upbringings, and, and there's kind of this safety in it that we feel. And sometimes when we step outside of our cultural bubble, like, all the insecurities come out, right? And so uh, imagine how cool it would be. You know, Martin Luther King has this famous quote about the most, you know, racist hour in America is like every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Because especially during that time, you know, cult, uh, churches were just, you know, separated by, by race and ethnicity. But can you imagine uh, to the non-Christian community when they walk around and they're like, you know what? These Christians are different. These Christians are unique. They're actually clashing together a a as cultures. The gospel is bringing communities together. And really what it is, is it's a taste of heaven on earth. It's a preview. Like we read in Revelation that God's going to have every race uh, separated and segregated, right? That was a lie, by the way. That's, that's when you guys say that's a lie. That's a, it's not going to be like that. that was, oh, okay. Tough crowd, tough crowd. Um, like we all, know, we all know that when we're in heaven together... You know, John in, in the Revelation says that there's going to be every tribe from every tongue from all over the world, and we're all worshiping and praising God together. This is a preview of what heaven's going to be like. And one of the things that we pray, uh, when, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he says, you know, your will be done on earth as it is already being done in heaven. And so one of the beautiful things, one of the beautiful opportunities that we have, even this morning, as just a little example, as a one-week example, uh, of, of the gospel bringing cultures together. Amen? Hey, as we, uh, a few takeaways here, as we look at these first eight verses in Philippians. Um, first, uh, uh, notice Paul's relationship with God. Um, that he could write this letter in this tone, so loving, 
so joyful, uh, even thankful, while he's in a Roman prison. What does Paul have that so many of us want when we're going through trials? What is it about Paul that as he's suffering and going through what he's going through, that he's able to still uh, write with such love and joy to these Christians? What has he got that so many of us don't got? Uh, Secondly, notice Paul's relationship with the church here in Philippi. He's overwhelmed with thankfulness. What does Paul have that causes him to have such an incredible love for these people? And as you take a step back and look at it from the cultural perspective, he's even, in that culture, this was so so unique that he would have this, this incredible love for these people. Thirdly, notice the church's relationship with Paul, that, that they've been financially supporting him for, for 10 years. I, I know that um, Pastor Phil has been talking a lot about something that I'm passionate about because we, we, we stay in contact, um, being a part of reaching this community here in Roland Heights. I know he talks about that quite a bit, um, something that I'm very passionate about as well. And, and here we have this church in Philippi, and the first church in Europe, as we said, um, and what we find is we open this letter in Philippians that the pastor of this church uh, was, was so thankful to God and had joy despite his circumstances and he had such a love for this church and this church had such a love for their pastor as they continued to support him financially and, and you know, maybe God's showing us this morning um, hey, do you, want, you want to make an impact in this community? You want to make an impact in, in, in Roland Heights and the surrounding community? Let's start right here. Let's start with our love for one another. Let's start right here. Because even that itself, as we said, Jesus said in John 13, that right there is a testimony, a proclamation to the non-Christians. Hey man, these Christians, they're, they're, they're loving. Um, and this is what happens when a, a church is truly gospel-centered. There's a sincere, overflowing love for one another. And I love what Paul says in verse 8. He says that, that this um, is the affection of Jesus. This is the love of Christ. This is something that uh, we don't just like go to school to just like learn and, and check off the box. Oh, we got the affection of Jesus box. Now I have this affection of Jesus for everyone. No, we have to, in, in a lot of ways, we have to ask Christ to give us that type of love, that kind of love. Um, and uh, when, when that's taking place, I, I, I've been a part of uh, this one group. We used to call it D101. And it stood for Discipleship 101, and it was right here in my parents' backyard. And, uh, you know, I was, I was a youth pastor for a, long t- for a while, um, and there's been different groups, different Bible studies that I've done at different points in my life. But there's some, there's some times where you kind of know the Holy Spirit's doing something really unique and really powerful. Um, and by far, my favorite ministry experience was when I got to be a part of what we call D101. And it was in my parents' backyard. And I got to tell you, it, it, was, it was, looking back, I, I to this day, like, long to be part of a church that was like that. I'm not, I'm not making fun of my own church that was just right here a, few, a while ago, or even the church that I'm at right now. But that was special, like the D101 days. I mean, you had, not only did you have people wanting to be there and learning and growing and getting saved, um, like, after the service, no one would leave. Like, no one would leave. Like, people would stick around. And, uh, like, sometimes to, like, 2, 3 in the morning, uh, and, and we would be praying for each other, and there was th- this genuine love and concern for how we were doing. And it was something that was so unique and powerful, and anyone who ever came to D101 was just, like, 
they knew something was special. And I would bring, like, some of my pastor friends to come and guest, guest speak sometimes, and they would all tell me the same thing. Like, what? There's something, there's something crazy going on at your little group. And at the time, I was young, and they said, man, you have this awesome church on your hand. And I always denied it. Like, no, that's not a church. It's just a Bible study. Like, I go to a different church, blah, blah, blah. And it was a church. And it was an, an incredible church. And, um, man, imagine if the home church, if, if our group too, if we could be that type of, of people that we're just so um, in love with one another, so concerned for one another. And I think that's the example that we have here this morning with Paul's, as, as he's talking and articulating his love for the Philippians. Amen? Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for this morning. And, God, what a privilege it is to share uh, your word with, with this beautiful church here this morning. And, Lord, um, we're so encouraged, uh, but at the same time, we're, we're, we're challenged in a good way um, to be the, the followers of Jesus that you call us to be. And, Lord, um, I pray that you would give us that love of Jesus, that you would give us that affection um, from Christ. Lord, we know that as Jesus was walking the earth for those few years and doing ministry with various people and, and dialoguing with people. One thing that, that they knew about Jesus that separated Jesus from the religious leaders of that day was that, that he had um, this love for people, even, even those outside the church, Lord, that he was accused of being a friend of sinners. God, give us that similar love for one another. We understand that uh, in our present condition, uh, by our own strength, by our own determination, that we can't love people the way you want us to love people, that, uh, that we're asking for a supernatural love that you have for people, and we want to reciprocate that love to others. We want to be ambassadors of your love. So God, we thank you, we worship you, we praise you. We ask God that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.